Beloved congregation of the Lord, turn with me again to Jeremiah 31 and verse 10. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. Well, beloved congregation, Jeremiah, who wrote these words some 488 years before the coming of Christ had a lengthy ministry in which he prophesied of the coming judgment upon the southern kingdom of Judah. He was called to be an ambassador of the Lord God, speaking the truth of God to a wicked and perverse generation. You read his prophecy and the uh, the basic um, audience that he has in view is often those countrymen that were directly in front of him, seeking to urge them to seek the face of God while judgment could yet be averted. And yet you see that especially in this portion of the prophecy, in chapters 30, 31, 32, and 33, and what is sometimes called the Book of Comfort, his prophecy especially reaches through history beyond the exile to the other side of a glorious restoration, which has as its focal point the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new covenant era. There are things here which very directly speak of the spread of the grace and truth of the gospel beyond the uh, limits of national Israel or the southern kingdom. In verse, um, in verse 7, you see this in particular, For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, or the Gentiles, publish ye and praise ye, and say, O Lord, Save thy people, the remnant of Israel. The nations are included there. But here in verse 10, you have an even more direct uh, citation where the nations or the Gentile peoples are addressed explicitly and directly. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare in the isles, Far off. Now, children, you might be wondering why does Jeremiah care so much about people who live in islands? Is there a message here just for people who are on a piece of land surrounded by water that maybe doesn't concern the rest of us? Well, it's not really the way to understand it. You see, that Hebrew word that's translated isles is used basically to describe any far-off region, sometimes translated isles, sometimes coastlands, sometimes uh, countries. It's what is often used by the Israelites to describe the peoples who are just beyond the reaches of their territory 
It, it is inclusive of really every people group to the most far-flung portions of the world. And it's a word that's explicitly used sometimes in connection with the coming of the Messiah to describe the reach of his gospel reign. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So it's about Jesus bringing judgment to the Gentiles. And then down in verse 4, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth. And the isles shall wait for his law. And then in verse 9, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Therefore they spring before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. So it's used in parallel there, really, to the end of the earth. And it's interesting that as I was reading the different commentators, a number of them seem to take special encouragement from the fact that their countries were included in what Jeremiah is talking about. So John Calvin writes, by islands, the, prophet, the prophets mean countries beyond the sea. Thus, by the Jews, that would mean Italy, Spain, Greece, France. So that's his home country, France, were called islands. And the prophet here, by remote islands, means all the regions of the world distant from Judea, and especially those beyond the sea. Dr. Gill, uh, who's obviously an Englishman, he writes uh, in this way. This refers not only to those upon the continent and the isles adjacent, but to those afar off from it, such as these isles of ours, of Great Britain and Ireland, where blessed be the Lord, the gospel has been declared to the conversion and comfort of many, into the glory of Christ. So I would claim this verse also for ourselves, brothers and sisters. Do we feel as though we need a word of encouragement? Well, here is a word of encouragement that centuries before the coming of Christ, God, through prophecy, included nations like our own, even Canada itself, among the words of Jeremiah. And these words, of course, speak of the shepherd of the church, a unique title and name, and is often ascribed, you see, to Jesus himself, the mediator of the new covenant. It's this that I wish to focus on and direct our thoughts to, and we will seek to expound upon the doctrines contained in this verse as we consider the theme of the shepherd of the church the shepherd of the church. And we'll see three things. First, his relationship. Second, his actions. And third, his commands. His relationship, his actions, and his commands. Well, children, I hope that you are aware that this title of shepherd is very important to the prayers and the faith of believers throughout all time. 
You want to know something that believers today have in common with the believers of the old covenant? They all called upon the Lord as their shepherd. I bet you even you've learned to sing a special psalm that begins with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, what that describes is the experience of every believer. Every believer knows themselves to be weak in themselves, foolish in themselves, that we are prone to wander away like sheep and to be devoured like sheep by wolves. And we need a strong and a loving provider, protector, caretaker, a shepherd. This is our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. So also this is what Jeremiah is saying here. Notice the words of our text. He that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. So what is true of every individual Christian is true of them all together. All Christians are included here as one flock. A flock, children, you know, is a group of sheep. A group of sheep together are a flock of sheep. And they all of them together belong unto the Lord. Here's another one of these psalms I'm talking about that expresses this faith of, of believers in their good shepherd. Psalm 80 and verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Jacob like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. It's almost like the believers, considering there the... the uh, the Lord looking down upon his people, Israel, looking down on this gathering of his chosen people. And he looks down with full attention, looking at each and every one of his sheep, all of their individual needs, all of their individual cares. And so the believer can call out unto them as the one who leads leads his people like a flock. This one who is capable of leading, capable of knowing all of his sheep, is also the one who with deep affection, deep affection, he, he loves his sheep. You might imagine like a shepherd who just knows uh, that this is his job to do. He gets a paycheck and then that's it. He'll do his job, but whether the sheep prosper or not doesn't matter. No. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So not only is he capable of providing for his sheep, but he loves his sheep. He's invested in them. 
And so it is that every care that we have may be brought to him. Psalm 79 and verse 13. So we, thy people and sheep of thy pasture, will give thee thanks forever and will show forth thy praise to all generations. You see, to be a true believer in the Lord is to recognize that everything we have that is good comes from him. Everything that we need, he is able to provide. And so it's all very important where we see Jesus himself claiming this title of shepherd. He says in John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good Shepherd, The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus, of course, here is identifying himself as the God of Israel, as the eternal only begotten son who has ever revealed the father unto his people. He is the one who has declared God the Father throughout all generations. And so he is the one that David and Moses and the psalmists and the prophets and Jeremiah and every believer has always looked unto him. So also he is the same shepherd today, the same yesterday, today and forever. Only now as the incarnate Son of God, as the mediator who has come in our flesh, he can now secure the provision of eternal life through the giving of himself. The good shepherd, he says, giveth his life for the sheep. You could envision a shepherd being willing to do many things, maybe even risking his life for his sheep, maybe putting himself in danger, maybe uh, putting himself on the attack against wolves and, and aggressors, but for a shepherd to know that he will die in the place of his sheep. That is a remarkable thing indeed. But not so remarkable as what is here. That the eternal Son of God who has created all worlds. This one who is the very brightness of his Father's glory. This one who is sinless and spotless and undefiled. This one who is all majesty and glory in and of himself. That he should count us to be such objects of love that he would suffer and endure the terrible death of the cross in our place. It is something beyond our puny understanding that God should set his love upon hell-deserving sinners such that his son comes to die in their place. John 10 and verse 14, I am the good Shepherd and know my sheep, and am known of mine as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What is assumed there? It's the very closest of relationships. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. There is a bond, a union, a connection here. And so as Jeremiah speaks in this way, in verse 
10 of Jeremiah 31, he that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. We need to bear in mind, this is the relationship that is in view. One that stretches very all the way back to the eternal mystery of God's decree, setting forth Jesus Christ as our mediator, appointing a people to be given unto him. It goes through all of redemptive history, through all of the prophets, and it, it focuses upon this one who in the fullness of time has come. And so we are able, by means of the simple relationship, to have the key that unlocks the very secret of history. There is something hidden in the pages of Scripture from the minds of unbelievers that reveals the purpose for everything that has ever happened and ever will happen. This is the relationship that all other things that have ever happened are subservient to the salvation of his church. He is the shepherd of his church. The flock, you see, is his holy, universal or Catholic Church. I'm reminded of what our Heidelberg Catechism speaks about this. Every week, children, you know, in the evening we confess, I believe in holy Catholic Church. What does that mean? Well, our Catechism explains it. What believest thou concerning the holy Catholic Church of Christ? Answer, that the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers, defends, and preserves to himself by his spirit and word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. Here is the right way to understand the church. They are the ones chosen. They are the ones gathered. They are the ones defended. And they are the ones who confess true faith. Every living member of the church is a true believer in Christ. And so it is that our catechism summarizes him. Belgian Confession, our other confessional standard, expresses it somewhat differently in Article 27, where it speaks of the Catholic Christian church. And there we read, we believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Ghost. The church has been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end thereof, which is evident from this, that Christ is an eternal king, which without subjects cannot be. Interesting argument. Reasoning from our relationship to Christ, the eternal king, and reasoning that there must be one true church throughout all ages defined by this faith. I go on. And this holy church is preserved and supported by God against the rage of the whole world, though she sometimes for a while appears very small in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing, as during the perilous reign of Ahab the Lord reserved unto him seven thousand men who had not bowed their knees to Baal, 
Furthermore, this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but is spread and dispersed over the whole world, and yet is joined and united with heart and will by the power of faith in one and the same spirit. Here is that true church, and and I would have you understand this well, not all. Not all who would have the appearance of being part of this universal church are true members of it. Indeed, that same confession, the Belgic Confession in Article 29 says, Hypocrites who are mixed in the church with the good, yet are not of the church, though externally in it. And other Reformed confessions speak of this difference. Yes, there is a visible church, a church which can be perceived and seen with our eyes of all believers together with their children who confess the true religion. Such was the nation of the Jews under the old covenant. Such are the visible gospel churches of the new covenant. And yet through and in it all there is but one church. A true church that is worthy of the name is that which are the Flock of the Good Shepherd. And so I would have you understand very plainly that you can receive no comfort from hearing about this relationship between Christ and his flock except you are a believer in him. You notice how it was in John 10, he spoke to the unbelieving Jews. And he said in John 10, verse 26, Ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. His sheep, you see, are given unto him from the Father, as he goes on to explain. And so they manifest themselves. They are shown to be those given unto the Father unto the Son by the Father in eternity because they respond in faith. It's a wonderful thing to be a believer, to know that as you cast your weary soul with all your weakness, sin, inability, foolishness upon the perfection of this righteous, wise, and all-powerful Christ, you find yourself to be connected with one who is able to provide for every need, defend against every adversary, secure to every blessing of the unbeliever who yet is not trusting in Christ, is yet in a state of spiritual death. Amen. Indeed, show themselves by their unbelief be those who are yet excluded from his fold. And until such time as they trust in Christ personally from the heart as their personal Savior, it is impossible to conclude on any objective or rational basis that they are truly the sheep of the good shepherd. And so I would exhort you in this. Do not rest or give yourself any peace until you can, can demonstrate through your faith that you are beloved of him. And so we see there is a relationship here, but I would moreover speak of this, speak of his actions, not only his relationship, but his actions 
And we see the whole verse again. It's context here. The word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. Now the scattering here would speak of the terrible judgment that was visited upon national Israel. We may read about it in the giving of the law, where in books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus, you have God as he brings this national people into an external covenant with himself. He indeed seals the promises of salvation in circumcision, in the bloody sacrifices. It's testified to through the word of Moses and the prophets. And yet likewise, there is also the requirement that they obey the word of their Lord. And so it is Leviticus 26, verse 2. Ye shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Going on to speak of the, the countless blessings which will be bestowed on this people. And then in verse 27, and if ye will not, will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And terrifying judgments ensue upon this, but where you read to the latter part of that chapter in Leviticus 26, verse 33, this certainly stands out, and I will scatter you scatter you among the heathen, will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. This was to be a sign and token of God's terrible displeasure, where the church of the Jews in that national covenant with the Lord should break their covenant vows to be a people unto God, where they should transgress the laws given unto them, they should be scattered. They would be like a a bunch of seeds children that you would take a bag of seeds and bring your hand into, and then you would go out on a windy day and just scatter it into the air and watch as it as all those little seeds are scattered to the four winds, spread out over such a great territory. Only this, this is one in which that uh, people would be brought to places where they are minority, where they are persecuted, where they are oppressed. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 14, um, Elijah the prophet speaks to King Jeroboam in 1 Kings 14, verse 15. For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of the good land which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their groves, provoking the Lord to anger. (laughs) 
This warning was given to the king because there was yet still time. God in his long suffering and mercy was holding forth his hands unto this wicked and stubborn and stiff-necked people, saying, Return unto me, repent, believe, trust in me as your covenant Lord. And yet they compound sin with sin until the terrible judgment falls. So it was that this consciousness after the the terrible armies come into the sacred city of Jerusalem, after they rob the sanctuary of the temple from all the artifacts, after they're brought into slavery and bondage into foreign lands, this permeates their heart and soul of everyone who is sensitive to the leading of the Lord. In Psalm 44, verse 9, But thou hast cast off and put us to shame and goest not forth with our armies. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy and they which hate us spoil for ourselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat and hast scattered us among the heathen. You see, Even the faith of the Lord's people, where they have some understanding of eternal life and the glorious blessings of the world to come, yet the terrible judgments and chastisements which the Lord sends against our nations, they bring us to a place of great sorrow. We can see the Lord is working. We can see that in the midst of it, There is yet a people that is preserved according to God's eternal purpose and according to his sovereign power. And yet we still see the terrible consequences which sin brings upon our lands. So it was in the case of Israel, so also today. Does it not grieve your heart, believer, where you see the state in which our nation has come? We is one of those far-off isles or lands which Jeremiah had spoken of. Yes, where the gospel has come through um, Asia Minor into Europe, into Greece, and then to Great Britain and into Holland and, and through them over here to North America. And we have experienced something of the blessings of God's covenant and word and law. And we have seen that that those things have been despised and trampled underfoot. As I went back to New Brunswick where I grew up last year and I drove past all these stretches of country where church after church littered the skyline. And over this one, it says soul. Over this one, it says closing down. Over this one, there's the rainbow flag. And you see how a nation that once was filled with gospel light, how it grows dimmer and dimmer, and how a people wander in darkness, and without vision they perish in their sins. And what do we make of it? Well, if you are a true believer called by the Lord's grace, you don't just say, well, it's just another thing that has happened. You don't just say, well, there'll be heaven for me, and so it does not affect me. No, it was not so for Jeremiah. He He speaks of this in Jeremiah 50 and verse 17. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria hath devoured him. And last, 
this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. Oh, it brought anguish to Jeremiah. There's a whole other prophecy that he, he writes in the aftermath of these things called Lamentations. Lamentations, where the whole book is considered of, consists of weeping and mourning and lamenting the terrible effects of this judgment. It should weigh on us if we have any sense of the Lord's leading. Yes, he is a gracious Lord. Yes, abundant in faithfulness. Yes, indeed, he lays down his life for his sheep, but he cannot deny himself. He is a righteous Lord. He cannot look upon iniquity. And where we see our nations having transgressed the holy covenant, having turned away from the God of our fathers, then we mourn and we grieve. But we confess that it is not just a happenstance. No, it is the Lord's doing where he withdraws his hand of pleasure and light and blessing. It is because we have sinned against him with a high hand. And so we see there, there's the scattering, the scattering, the terrible displays of his judgment. But what else may we see? Well, there is also his actings of grace. His grace. They're set forth in two actions here. There is gathering and keeping. He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. I really profited from John Calvin's comment as he sought to express the, the heart of what this verse is saying. So I want to read from his commentary on Jeremiah here. He writes, God then exhorts the people here to entertain hope because he could heal those wounds which he himself had inflicted. As though he had said, I am he who drove you into exile. Am I not able to bring you back? Had you been led away by the power of your enemies, you might be now without any hope of deliverance. But as nothing happens, but through my righteous judgment, mercy can bring a remedy from all your evils. You see, we do not just try to separate things and say that Christ, he only bestows blessings, but not judgments. Nor do we look at his judgments in despair of his mercy. No, we see that he is truly Sovereign, He is truly Lord of all. He truly does all his good pleasure. And yet his character revealed in the Holy Gospel ensures that we have no right to despair. In Ezekiel 34 verse 12, As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I Seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. Oh, what a glorious thing. Were it left to the sheep of the Lord, were it left unto them, they would forever forever be prey for the enemy. They would forever wander about in their foolishness, in their disregard for the will of their shepherd. And yet he is a shepherd who seeks. You heard of the scripture reading and how 
Jesus as he's patiently dealing with his disciples, the future pastors of the church. And they're confused about so many things. And he tries to make it all so simple. How it is that Christians should relate to one another. How it is that they are to be uh, governed through the ordinances of the ministers and the elders and, and one another and so forth. How they're to forgive one another. And above and through it all, you see how the heart of the shepherd shines forth, that we ourselves would have such a heart for the church of Christ. And he writes in, and he speaks in Matthew 18, verse 12, How think ye if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Well, that might actually be a good question. Is that really a good investment? You've got 99 sheep children. Are you going to leave those 90 and 9 and go off into the mountains because one silly sheep has gone away and wandered away? Well, maybe we would think differently, but look how Jesus answers that. And if so be that he find it verily, I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here is the heart of Christ. He will gather. He will gather each one of his sheep. He will gather them from all nations. He will gather them to the individual level, ensuring that not one of them is lost. He says in John 10, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And even this would not bring that same level of comfort were it not, were it not that they were bound together. And there is the gathering and the keeping, that he seeks the one, leaving the ninety-nine, but that each one that he has can never be snatched out of his hand. Isn't it an astonishing thing, Christian? You would imagine that you can never lose your salvation. Some people might imagine that that is an easy thing to believe. But if you know your own heart, you would, you would be shocked at, at to really consider that you, with all that you do every day, could not lose your salvation. The Canons of Dor Doctrine 5, Article 14, puts it this way. As it has pleased God by the preaching of the gospel to begin this work of grace in us, so he preserves, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation thereon, and by the exhortations, threatenings, and promises thereof, as well as by the use of the sacraments. You see, it's not automatic that you are preserved unto the end, but through means, through the preaching of the word, through the sealing of the word in the sacraments, through these means you are preserved to the end in faith and obedience. In Article 8 of 
Head of Doctrine uh, 5, it says this, Thus it is not in consequence of their own merits or strength, but of God's free mercy, that they do not totally fall from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backsliding, which, with respect to themselves, is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, it is utterly impossible since his counsel cannot be changed nor his promise fail. Neither can the call according to his purpose be revoked nor the merit, intercession and preservation of Christ be rendered ineffectual nor the sealing of the Holy Spirit be frustrated or obliterated. On our side, yes, we would easily perish and fall and be uh, just food for the devil's uh, devouring. And yet, according to God's free mercy, solemn promise, and effectual power working through Christ, we, each one of us who have trusted in him, will be preserved all the way unto the end. So having spoken of his relationship and his uh, actions, I would speak a word about his commands. And really, there's two of them, you notice, how the whole verse began. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will, will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. Really just two very simple commands. Hear and declare. Hear and declare. We must hear. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They don't just hear with their ears, they hear with their hearts. They don't just hear with understanding, they hear in faith. Do you hear? Your shepherd speaks to you, Christian. The Lord of your salvation, he yet draws close. The Lord of the church summons you into a fellowship with himself. This week to come, what place of the word will the word of God have in your home? What place will it have in your life? What place will it have in your heart? A life not based upon the call of the Son of God, his teaching, his word, and his wisdom. This is not truly living. You are his Christian, the sheep of his pasture. Hear his voice. Treasure every precious word that proceeds out of the mouth of Christ. And the, soul, and the Holy Scriptures find him there as one who is delighting to welcome you and receive you from your backslidings, from your sins, from your temptations. Find Christ there. He would speak unto you. He would have dealings with your soul. He would reveal his glory. He would assure you of pardon. He would strengthen you for the battle. Hear, hear his word. Second, declare, declare. We read, hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off. This is... The natural result, where we have heard, we cannot but speak. Where we have believed, we cannot but testify. Is that not the heart of every Christian? 
that after the heart of our Good Shepherd, we yearn that everyone would hear that all of the Lord's elect would be gathered into his sheepfold. John 10, verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Through these humble means, Dear one, the Lord would glorify himself in you. As you have occasion to speak, speak as the oracles of God. Speak as the voice of the good shepherd unto this perishing world. Let us testify that we have found him to be faithful. Unto this world that is scattered in judgment and in confusion, let us direct them to the one source of true comfort, grace, and peace. Let us be heralds of the great king of the church, the great shepherd of the flock. And in this way, may we not find that there is a glorious blessing in store for us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen.